Hey, Strategy Simplified listeners, Japheth here. Before we dive into today's episode with Nick Farhi, I wanted to bring you a quick update on the podcast. Today is the last episode in Season 2, and one change that we'll be implementing in Season 3 is to move from posting two podcasts a week to just one. We're so excited to continue bringing you great content and more phenomenal guests like the one you're about to hear from today. As always, we appreciate you listening and sending in your feedback. It's part of what helps make the show great. Without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Today, you're in for a hilarious ride as I go through a conversation with Nick Farhi. Nick is a partner at OCNC. OCNC is a pure strategy consulting firm that has incredible brand recognition in Europe, and they have started to build traction through their US office based in New York City. One of the things that Nick mentions is essential in a case interview with a firm like OCNC is authentic interest in solving a business problem. And one way that you can develop the core skills and develop some interest is in doing a project in a real life situation. We offer the opportunity for you to do that only twice a year. And the one that's starting in just a couple of weeks is coming up. It's Strategy Sprint. And the program includes two days of training, as well as five full, intense project days, culminating in a final presentation. We'd love to have you join us. Find the link in the show notes. Now, let's get started with the episode. Hi, everyone. Very excited to be with you today for our exciting call. You are going to absolutely love our guest today. I've gotten to know him over the last couple of years, and it's going to be a fantastic conversation. We have, like I mentioned, a really fantastic guest. I, I think you're going to find his story interesting compelling and inspiring. And I also think that you're probably going to be highly entertained in our conversation today. At least it's partially my job to make sure that the conversation goes in that direction. So Nick, I'm excited to welcome you to the call today. I'm going to give you an opportunity just to share a brief overview of your bio, although we'll go into deeper detail of it as we go through the rest of the conversation. And then what we'll do after that is dive into some fun questions. And then probably the, the meat of the conversation, we're going to focus on some questions about your career and the things that you do both in and out of work at OCNC. So welcome. We're so excited to have you. Thank you. Um, do you want to introduce myself now? Yeah. Yes. So yeah, I'm, I'm uh, Nick. I'm a partner at OCNC Strategy Consultants based in New York. Uh, although, as you can probably tell from my accent, originally from London, I've been with OCNC what uh, will seem to many of you like a ludicrously long period of time, 20 years, um, during our undergraduate recruitment processes this year, I met many people who uh, were for our internship who were born in the same year that I joined OCNC, which is, I think that's your, your first depressing threshold uh, as a partner in a consultancy. Um, but, uh, so that, that's me by day. I'm a kind of partner um, doing regular client work um, as partners do, or whatever it is partners do. Uh, I also run OCNC's US people operations. And then by night, I am uh, an angel investor. Uh, I chair a charity that backs B Corps. And I'm the father of two noisy, young, under two-year-old boys who you hopefully won't hear in the background. So glad to have you, and what a great bio. As, as you can see, I think we're going to have a lot of fun today. So Nick, I'm going to get started with a couple of fun questions. This is probably one of the most important ones, coffee or tea? 
I think tea is a fake drink, right? It's just it's just like water. I mean, obviously, coffee is the better of those two drinks. It's a functional beverage, and it's all about the hit, right? <laughs> You're saying right as if maybe I'm going to agree with you. Like, if that's not my job. My job is to moderate <laughs> today. Okay, good. The second question, kind of related. Uh, if you had to pick one, London or New York? I think that's a very difficult question because despite the big underlying similarities, actually very, very different cities, London for its charm, New York for its density, uh, you know, the fact that you're so close to everything. Um, and ultimately, I am a huge city person and New York is the ultimate city. So I think probably New York. Oh, I was wondering if you were going to do the consulting, like both of them are great thing, but I like that you ended with one. So thanks for that. Awesome. Next one. Favorite quarantine activity? Um, well, I, I really um, didn't enjoy quarantine. And so I, I was definitely um, making use of the freedom we had in New York. Um, and one of the things about having two young children um, is that they love to go outside. So as soon as they got a little bit warm, which was kind of April, the parks were open. I used to, during my lunch hour, lunch hour, whatever, during a break during the day, I uh, used to just take my son to the park and just play outside for 20 minutes. Absolutely, I love it. Okay, great. Uh, the biggest risk that you've taken that's paid off? I am not a huge risk taker and I really struggle to think of a risk that I've taken. Now, consulting is not a high risk career path and it's all I've ever done. Um, I guess maybe one of the bigger risks I took was moving from our very established London office, uh, where we have an extremely strong brand and market position, to a very fledgling uh, four or five years ago New York office. Um, although I always felt I had the backing of my colleagues uh, in doing so that sig significantly de-risked it for me. Um, but it's definitely paid off. I've had a, a blast uh, as we've scaled the office over those, that period. And um, I'm very proud of where we've got to. Love it. Okay. And the final one, the first place that you will travel when we've moved past COVID. So I don't know if you've done a little bit of travel here or there, but world is open again fully. Where are you going? I mean, just any travel, wouldn't it? I mean, I'd, <laughs> any aeroplane is what I'm looking forward to. Just I, I, I'm very surprised. It really surprises me that, that I would say that because I think in 2018 or something I took 100 flights in the year and uh, many of those were kind of not, not um, business related flights and at the end of that year I thought I needed to take um, fewer flights and I achieved that in 2019 but now I just just anywhere anywhere other than Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> okay I love it so you don't have any you're just going to go to JFK and book a ticket that's right yeah, yeah yeah exactly. I've always wanted to do that. Maybe now is the time. Um, okay, wonderful. Well, Nick, I'm going to move into the questions about you. I'm excited to get to know you a little bit better and to share some of your story with the audience. So I'm going to start at the University of Oxford. Um, and so what I understand from your background is that you were originally considering a PhD in physics, but I want to know what changed your mind and what attracted you to consulting and any color that you can add around that moment in your life, which obviously shaped a lot of what's happened in the last 20 years. That would be amazing. Sure. So my major was in physics as an undergraduate, and uh, it's a four-year course uh, at Oxford. And between the third and fourth year uh, for uh, over the summer uh, for talented physicists, they offer what they describe as an opportunity to work in a, um, a physics lab shadowing um, a PhD student. So I, I did that, um, thinking it would be a good opportunity to kind of build my network within the PhD community and the professor community, whatever. 
Um, and it was one of the most depressing six weeks of my life. Um, my, I was working, it was sold as working on CERN, right? The, the Large Hadron Collider, which some of you may have heard of if you've been reading the news and working on the discovery of the Higgs boson. And it sounded like incredibly sexy. Um, but the reality of that six weeks was my job was, um, there was a detector in the Large Hadron Collider that needed to operate at very low temperatures. And there was a wire in that detector that needed to be soldered extremely uh, carefully so that the resistance of that wire was very low at low temperatures. And my job was working out better ways to solder that wire to go in that detector of which there were gonna be 10,000 that might one day detect something uh, that someone else would detect and get the credit for in 10 years time. And, and that distance from impact was the thing that I found most depressing. Um, so I returned um, after the, the kind of summer of physics uh, and decided I really needed to start going to some of these career presentations. Now, OCNC and consulting would have been a big pivot at the time. So what was it about consulting that specifically sparked your interest? And what about OCNC? If you can remember, it's yeah. been a little while. But I, yeah. I knew nothing about consulting, uh, which is kind of uh, remiss of me. I guess I hadn't really been exploring my options and listening. I knew a bit about um, investment banking because I had some friends who had done that the, the prior year. Um, so I, to be honest, I just turned up to presentations that were offering free canapes. Um, and uh, one of them, um, the first one I went to, the first consulting one I went to, I thought, oh, wow, actually, this sounds really interesting and so much more interesting than that kind of arcanely technical investment banking stuff that I've been um, listening to. Uh, and so I thought maybe I should go to some more of these consulting presentations, not just for the free food, but for, to actually find out about career options. Um, and the one that I enjoyed the most out of all the presentations I went to was the, the OCNC one. So um, what was it I enjoyed about it? You know, it wasn't necessarily that the slides were better or the kind of presenters were more compelling somehow. It was after the, the presentation when you were talking to people, just the, the sense of enjoyment of the job, fun colleagues, um, you know, people who you could learn a lot from, but do so in a really pleasurable environment. That was, that was what excited me. And that was my 100% of my decision criteria, which maybe, again, wasn't a very sophisticated process to choose my, the firm I work for or, or the career I chose, but it, it's worked out okay. Absolutely love it. And by the way, you being behind was being advanced of me because it was three years after undergrad that I even started to look at it for the first time. So well done on that. Um, now, you've done a lot of consulting engagements since you've been at OCNC. Can you tell us about a favorite one and what made it memorable as well as what you learned from it? So I, I was totting this up the other day. I've done 200 consulting engagements over the course of my career and I numbered the folders in my um in my hard drive, which is why I know that. So, and I'm very hard pressed to choose a favorite because every single one I do, it's like there's something interesting and intriguing about it. So I'll tell you about the one that I've literally just before this call was editing a document on, which um, it's, it's a project about an insurgent florist that has, it's online only, it's massively benefited from COVID because a lot of the florists were shut. Um, it's doubled or tripled in the, in the last few months. It is now a highly, highly profitable business. Just a fabulous business as well. It's run by ex-consultants. Um, so they've set up everything really nicely. It has so many sources of competitive advantage. It's killing florists in all the countries it operates in. Uh, and the thing I like about it is partly 
Um, and it's a cool, interesting industry and a business that's fabulous and very successful. But partly also, it is the first time the management team has engaged with consultants. And that is always such a rewarding discussion because um, they are, the, the ability for a consultant to add value in those environments is, is much higher. Um, but also, it feels like as a consultant, you are really doing some pioneering thinking about an industry. No one has thought about as a consultant, no one has kind of consulted to a disruptive florist before. Um, so really working out what's going on, what is driving their success is you know, super interesting. So um, I know that's my last project rather than my most interesting one, but I've, I've really been enjoying it. No, that's wonderful. Well, I want to talk a little bit about OCNC, mm. and then I'll come back to some questions about you. But because you've been there for almost two full decades, you maybe as well as anyone else can talk about what is wonderful about the firm. And specifically, I also know that you probably had opportunities to leave, mm. uh, that you started getting calls when we were younger and are probably still getting them uh, on a regular basis today. So you've decided to stay is what I'm saying. It's not just... You know, it's not just a kind of passive decision. You've actively had to decide to stay. What, what is it that has kept you there? Right. I mean, there's, I guess there's a couple of dimensions to that answer. One is uh, there's a kind of day by day um, dimension, which is, you know, I wake up in the morning and think uh, positively about the day ahead. And I'm excited about working with my colleagues. I'm excited about the problems we're going to crack. I'm excited about the dialogue with senior clients. You know, I, I derive energy from those things. So that that day to day has always been a pleasure, and in many ways, it's a it's a very very luxurious career um, on that basis. You know, the, the, there's a lot of significant benefits to it. Um, but as you say, there's a kind of longer term. Um, there's a couple of longer term points. I think one was. One of my mentors, when I was quite early in my career, said to me, um, you should look back at the end of each year and see if you've learned anything um, and if you're happy with the pace of learning. And I've been reasonably disciplined about that for the last 20 years. And I'd say uh, every year, even you know, 10 years into partner, I always feel like I've learned and developed and you know, discovered new things about myself or about how the business world ticks or about how to motivate people, how to persuade people. So... Um, that that learning curve is certainly continuing to be rewarding. But as you say, Jenny, the um, opportunities to leave consulting are excellent. Um, we're a, a highly desirable talent pool for um, corporates, for private equity venture capital houses and, and many others. Um, and you get, as soon as the, the headhunters find your name, you start getting bugged. Um, and most of the time at the start of my career, I ignored them, but there was one time pretty early on, about three years in, that uh, it was a, a VC house um, wanted to, to hire for someone with my sort of tenure, and it sounded sufficiently interesting that I took it seriously and got through the interviews and got a job offer, um, and then I had a very tough weekend when I thought to myself, you know, what is it I really enjoy? What is it I want to do? Where is the learning going to be best? Uh, all those kind of questions. And in the end, I decided to stay and annoyed the headhunter. And the um, process was very cathartic. It, it really made me go back that Monday morning, uh, not just with the kind of day-to-day -day enjoyment and enthusiasm of the job that I talked about earlier, but uh, a kind of redoubled commitment to the next three or so years uh, that I could had visibility of at the time. Um, and I decided on the basis of that positive catharsis that, 
I should do it again. So three further years into my career, I thought around then, um, one of that batch of headhunter calls that came in, I took that seriously as well and took it again to a, a job offer stage um, and again, turned them down, uh, but also found the process cathartic and did it again about nine or 10 years in. And nine or 10 years in one was... That was to be CFO of Kentucky Fried Chicken in the UK, which I think would have, it was just a, such a hilarious job that I decided I should definitely interview for, for the first five weeks if I'd taken it would have been working in a KFC branch, which would have been, would have been fun. Unique! That was, that was the main reason that I decided not to do it. But you know, that process of every so often seeing if the grass is greener on the other side, not just hypothetically, but really thinking hard about what are the pros and cons of this? Um, I found that very helpful for, for kind of renewing my commitment to consulting. Nick, I've had a similar experience, but I, uh, I, I had done a little bit of side investing in real estate mm. and decided I was, I was maybe thinking about selling management consultant a, a couple of years ago and I was going to go full time into real estate. And I, I did it for a month and I, I, you know, I said, Hey, team, I'm going to just take a month and, and do this and head in this different direction at the end of the month, I had a very similar revelation to I like where I am. <laughs> I like where everything that I wanted over there was actually over here. What am I right. thinking? So right. it's really, I, I love that you do, have done that. And also the idea of you working in a KFC is just too entertaining. <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, so that's one big contention that I have with, with my significant other is whether KFC is acceptable food or not. So maybe you could you, Which that side question. of the argument are you on? Oh, which one do you think? Uh, well, I, I, mean, I don't want to judge you, but I have to say KFC is not acceptable food. That's, <laughs> that's my side of the argument. It's not even high-quality fried chicken, <laughs> and I'm not sure fried chicken is high-quality food. But anyway, <laughs> I would be saying differently if I was CFO of Kentucky Fried Chicken. No, this is a total aside, but he grew up in South Africa, and actually in South Africa, uh, people call fried chicken Kentucky. It's like the, it has such right. a strong brand that that's the only thing that is fried chicken. And so, um, so, but yeah, it's his, uh, we call it his boat food. When he wants to go out on a boat, he wants to get um, right. like a, like a, you know, boat on a lake, not a yacht or a sailboat. That would be awkward, but right. that's yeah. More kind of <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So total aside, back to the main program. Now uh, questions about OCNC. Uh, we just, I, I think that it would be, great opportunity for other people and for me, honestly, to just continue to learn a little bit more yeah. about OCNC. So one of the things that we have talked about over our conversations is that OCNC uh, has had the option to think about an implementation focus, but has really done an amazing job of staying in the pure play strategy mm-hmm. space. And, uh, you know, for candidates that are thinking about strategy, there actually are becoming fewer and fewer places to mm-hmm. go for that. So what what is the benefit, do you think, of the learning? that come from the strategy spot inside the consulting ecosphere? Okay, there is, that is a, a long and multifaceted question. So forgive me if I ramble in my long and multifaceted answer. Feel free it. to steer me back on track. Will do. Um, you're right to say that we have chosen to be strategy focused. And in fact, it was a founding principle. So we were founded by a Booz Allen partner and a BCG partner in 1987 um, on the premise that they didn't like the direction those firms were going in. That you know, Buzan, which then was a kind of strategy powerhouse, um, gone significantly different course since then. Uh, and BCG were both getting more and more into cost reduction work and implementation work. 
And those partners didn't like it. So they wanted to found a firm that would stay true to the strategy roots of the industry, but in perpetuity. Um, so it was a founding principle and a kind of guiding principle throughout. And I think um, what we talk about as partners um, is the difference between strategy work and implementation work. There are a couple of important differences. One, I think, for a certain type of partner and a certain type of consultant as well, I think strategy work is unarguably more fun. Um, but as a partner, it's kind of easy to milk the client relationship and sell a lot of implementation work. And you can therefore kind of pretty more easily generate revenue from a client if you do implementation work. And so as, as a partnership, we talk about this fun versus money trade-off. And at the margins, we are definitely a group of people who will pick fun over money. I don't want to pretend that we are kind of struggling on the breadline at all. Um, but uh, we definitely faced with the choice between you know, a $2 million implementation project and a $1 million strategy project, which is the $1 million strategy project every day. Um, and I think that principle appeals to a segment of partners, often coming from, many of them homegrown, most of our partners are homegrown, but many coming from firms that used to be strategy purists, but are now only kind of 20% of their business is strategy. And they're being told they need to sell on and do implementation work or whatever, but actually they don't want to, they want to come and just do strategy and they'll take a, you know, take that compromise, that fun versus money compromise. And it appeals to talent as well, to, to junior talent who, the ones who, who kind of know what they're getting themselves into appreciate that, you know, a two-year implementation project in a bank is quite different from six or eight strategy projects uh, across several different industries. And our talent proposition is oriented very much around um, like getting that very high quality, but probably uh, slightly shorter, shorter attention span, more variety seeking talent and offering a, a fabulous home for that talent. So specifically related to fun, how have you fostered a fun environment in more normal times? And then in, during COVID, what has fun looked like for the OCNC yeah. team? Yeah. So I think fun is, um, the, the, the main dimension of fun we have as a firm is actually just working together on projects. Um, we do a ton of other stuff around the edges, but the idea and the reality is that just that day-to-day -day debate, uh, that day-to-day -day interaction on projects is fun. Um, beyond that, uh, we, of course, pre-COVID spent um, exorbitant amounts of money on flying people around the world to glamorous beach locations and you know, drinking and partying late into the night. Our most recent one was actually just for the US office, just in February in, in Puerto Rico. We had a really wonderful offsite and just squeezed it in before the world locked down. Um, no, that's still a very fond memory. The last time I went properly dancing. Um, so uh, we, we do the, that kind of thing. And I think we probably do that thing, that kind of thing a little bit more than others. And we're still, as a global firm, we're about 700 people. So we're still small enough that all of us globally get together once a year um, for a kind of week-long training event slash uh, dancing event. Uh, and that is, uh, it was going to be in Lisbon this September, but sadly it's been postponed. Um, so that's kind of normal way we do it, you know, make projects fun plus, uh, plus lots of parties. Um, during COVID, you know, I don't have a good answer to creating a fun collaborative work environment during COVID, to be honest, it's everything is less good, isn't it? Um, on, on Zoom. 
uh, we're all totally sick of it. I think the the thing we did, the action we took that was maybe slightly different to others was open our office early. Um, you know, we, we're not big enough to have a chief risk officer who says no to everything, um, which meant that we were able to open the office optionally. Um, but as soon as we opened it, lots of people wanted to come in. And I think they, the, well, maybe the people who found came in was some selection bias, but they found it just an enormously rewarding uh, thing to be back in the same physical location as colleagues, having lunch, albeit socially distanced with colleagues and you know, talking rubbish to each other about, you know, whatever politics and the world. And, um, and uh, our internship as well, we offered that as a physical or virtual and six of our eight summer interns decided to do it physically. I think they just had a much, much better experience than, uh, than they would have done if they'd done it virtually. Um, I, I guess what that tells me is I haven't got a good substitute for um, for the kind of physical nature of fun collaborative work environment. Um, and uh, the way we've um, got around that a bit is just by opening up the office optionally safely mm-hmm. earlier than, than we might have done if we'd had a chief risk officer. I absolutely love that. I also was just reflecting on when the last time is that I danced properly and one of my family's dance themes. I have three young children during COVID has been the song beep, beep, I'm a sheep, which I don't think is right. played in any clubs in Puerto yeah, Rico. Yeah. So I, I think <laughs> <laughs> you're really bringing me to a moment right now. You're right. I mean, my two-year-old is actually very into Taylor Swift and there are some of her tunes are a little bit dance worthy. Um, so I, maybe the last time I danced properly was was to, to Taylor Swift. <laughs> that wasn't the category I was thinking about, the category of dancing I was thinking about. Absolutely. <laughs> um, well, I, I have another question just kind of about um, OCNC. So as yeah. a partner, I'm guessing that you get a, a really interesting view now that you didn't have when you were just a staff consultant about mm. how you run a consulting firm. So what is a, and, and by the way, I'll preface this question by saying that when I was going into Bain, Hmm. A good friend of mine and a mentor suggested that I pay attention not just to being what Bain did for its clients, but what Bain did for itself, how Bain ran Bain. And so that's the premise of this question. It's it, what is a key business insight that you have learned from thinking about and uh, you know, adjusting and paying attention to how OCNC runs OCNC? Is this a business insight that my clients are meant to learn from and think they can they can kind of apply that insight to their own business, or is it just something I've learned? It could be either. I think I think it would be interesting if not maybe your clients or even the um, yeah. you said you're an angel investor, which I'll talk about in a yeah. second. But maybe it's just something that's applicable outside of OCNC in some way. I think be. maybe maybe this is unique to um, a certain subset of companies, but one of the principles of, of OCNC as a firm is entrepreneurial freedom. Um, And that applies to the partners, you know, you can, um, within some pretty broad guide rails and pricing and profitability guide rails, for example, sell um, any all variety of work you want um, that you're capable of selling. And, you know, all, uh, as long as the teams are happy, you can do what you want, basically. Um, No one tells you what to do. And, I think one of the uh, the kind of takeaways, and, and by the way, that is enormously attractive as a partner. That also flows through to how we um, think about the, the the rest of the firm. That we want everyone in the firm to step up and, and run the firm. You know, not everyone to be the managing partner, but 
everyone to take on responsibility for running something. So I had, we had a couple of new joiners in September, um, knocked on my door like two weeks uh, into their careers and said, Hey, um, we noticed we've been doing this big push on diversity and inclusion at recruitment this season. We've got a couple ideas of how to do that even better next season. And I just, I love the fact that someone with two weeks experience felt confident uh, and confident and obligated, you know, to, to improve the, the firm they were working in. So um, I guess the takeaway is the power of entrepreneur, entrepreneurial freedom and, and the kind of the, the opposite of that, the, the, the disempowerment that comes from bureaucracy and central control. So um, I think Netflix is the kind of archetype of this, isn't it? Where, you know, they, they try not to have any bureaucracy or silos and you can just do what you want. Um, but I, I think that the power of, of not centralizing and the power of not trying to control and the power of trusting people to get on with things um, I think that would be my my business insight. That's fantastic. How do you facilitate it? If somebody did, if, let's say you start with bureaucracy, yeah. or maybe you've had clients or other orgs that trend toward this or don't know another way. How, uh, what would you say is a, a tool or a, a, a mental model that matters for yeah. doing that? Well, I think there's the, 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 the challenge. Well, what it requires is people with power to trust people without power, right? Um, and th- so there's two behavior changes. One is getting the leaders to just relax a bit, take some risks. That's very hard to get a leopard to change their spots on that if it's a certain type of leader. So I don't have a great answer to that question. But th- once the leaders are kind of creating that environment of trust, you need to uh, inspire the, the people without power, you know, the rest of the firm to, to kind of seize opportunities and get on with stuff. And I think... Um, there it's just about role modeling um, and, and when you do have some example of that really um, promoting it widely so um, yeah, examples and role modeling of, of someone doing some small thing well make everyone aware of it happening and they'll also feel the ability to to take on some part of some problem the firm has and then solve it we'll be right back after this quick message One year ago, we polled Fortune 500 executives and asked them what their top pain point was inside organizations. Expecting the answer to be analytics, we were shocked to find that it wasn't. Instead, the executives said that their biggest problem was prioritization. The people on their teams did not focus on what was most important to them or to the business. At Management Consulted, we have a core foundational training on the pyramid principle, which is the way that we were trained inside top consulting firms to get razor sharp focus immediately on the biggest problems an organization faces. And we can train your organization too. With top clients that are in the Fortune 100, we have a great roster that we can explain how we've made a difference inside organizations. Please reach out for more information at managementconsulted.com. Well, I have a question about you going back to Mm. the angel investing piece that I mentioned before. And I understand that consulting is demanding, but you've squeezed all these other important things to you and family and and angel investing as well. So tell us a little bit about your angel investing process and what you look for in an entrepreneur. You've seen almost 200 companies that are at bigger scale that can afford the services like OCNC. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's probably a little bit too early to judge whether I'm a good angel investor, I should say that. And I've made about 15 investments. Three of them have, have gone bust. 
Uh, I think that's probably a, a decent track record, but none of them have exited, you know, I'm, and only about two of them are profitable. So let's caveat everything I'm about to say with that um, undemonstrated track record of success. Um, but in terms of what I look for in the entrepreneurs I invest in, and perhaps this is a reflection of the narrowness of my understanding of talent, but uh, a lot of the people I've invested in are actually ex-strategy consultants, and many of them are the first few at least were ex-colleagues as well and that was how I got into it in the first place and I do think that strategy consulting just equips you extremely well for um, really good critical thinking about an industry and that facility of of very broad types of problem solving the self-confidence slash arrogance to to think you can tackle anything uh, in industries that have been going for hundreds of years think you can do it better Um, and actually quite an important part of angel investing is storytelling and, and the kind of sales pitch to investors. I think mean, consultants are just very good at all of those things. And they often come with huge social capital as well, just fabulous networks, um, which are um, important uh, as, you're, as you're starting up your, your company. So um, although I wish there was a, a kind of more sophisticated answer, you know, ex-consultants is certainly one of the things I look for. Fantastic. Well, I know that uh, OCNC is going through the process of building right now. Can you tell us a little bit about what's happening with your New York and Boston plans, if anything has changed for the pandemic, and for what roles you're hiring this year? Sure. I mean, the short answer is um, nothing has changed as a result of the pandemic, which is um, good news uh, in terms of the the growth plans of the business. The April and May were quiet months for us globally. Revenues were down significantly, you know, 50%. Um, and you know, who knew how long that was going to last? But as it turned out, not very long. And actually, August, September, October, November have all been above our pre-COVID budget by 10 or 20%. And we don't really know why that is. I can't really understand why the pandemic would have caused us to beat our budget. But, but for whatever reason, uh, the firm is performing extremely strongly. So if anything, our hiring plans are becoming more aggressive uh, in the US. Um, yeah, I think when we first met, I don't know when it was, Jenny, it was about three years ago. I think so. Um, yeah, I, I obviously, I think I told you our target then was to get to 50 consultants in New York and we're at 48 at the moment, uh, by, by 2020, and uh, we're at 48 at the moment. So we're very close to, to our target. Um, we've got this office in Boston, which is smaller and growing. It's about 10 people currently. In New York, we've just taken on a lease on a 100-person office, a five-year lease as kind of an indication of the kind of growth plans in New York. We'll grow Boston probably um, at a faster rate, I'd have thought, over that five-year period. And I suspect over the course of the next five years that we're talking about, we'll probably open an office somewhere else in the US. Um, my guess would be somewhere warmer, like California, rather than somewhere cold. Um, that would be a good, a, a good way to spend my winters. Come on over to California. Right. Love it. <laughs> um, well, then you mentioned that you're hiring, uh, before our call, you mentioned that you're hiring at two levels, at the undergrad level, and then um, for also first-year MBAs for internships. So right. I would love to hear about advice that you would have for people that would maybe be interested in OCNC, both the application and the interview. Yes, we are also hiring lateral hires from competitors as well, uh, irrespective of of MBA. But yes, you're exactly right. Um, So this was my tip for someone in an interview. Um, I think there is a bit of a misconception about 
business. Um, the business is all about frameworks and terminology and, you know, some sounding, sounding like a kind of, uh, you know, a, the apprentice, you know, sound, sounding like those people on the apprentice. I don't know if we're allowed to mention Trump anymore, but um, sounding like people on the apprentice. And I, I think that is just such a misconception of, of what it means to be a good consultant or what it means to be a good business person. Um, so what I would advise people to do in interviews is not use jargon because they probably don't understand it and they're probably not using it right anyway, but it's a negative sign about someone that they're using jargon. Use simple words. Um, secondly, don't just wrote apply a framework that you've read in some Ace the Case book or that you've learned in your MBA uh, program. Just think from first principles about the right way to solve the problem. Uh, and thirdly, just relax and you know show who you are as a person. You know, show your humanity. Don't pretend you're some kind of you know, flat business stereotype, um, you know, business machine. You're not a business machine. You're a person. Just be that person in the interview. Um, yeah. So keep it simple and relax. Love it. Good. Well, I have two final questions. So the first is what three tips would you give to mm. yourself if you were in right. the process of thinking about recruiting and you're let's call it 20s, maybe early 30s, just thinking about starting out in consulting. You mentioned that one of your mentors included their recommendation to you that you've taken very seriously to look back each year and reflect. Um, I don't know if that's one of your recs as well or if there are others, but three. That sounds a bit worthy, that recommendation. I, I think it's too it's too serious. So for the, the three genuine tips I would give, give to myself would be, um, number one, uh, I had the opportunity to take which I didn't take, to take time off between finishing my studies and starting consulting. So I had like two months off or something. But some of my peers who were recruited at the same time started either you know, in March the following year or even in September the following year. So they took six or 12 months off and they, you know, they bummed around Thailand or whatever, uh, learned Spanish, you know, built schools in Cambodia. I should have done something like that. So my advice would be, um, this is a unique opportunity between school and, uh, and starting work. Um, most of your other career breaks in life, you will have kids for, which is not compatible with any of the things I just described. So just take some time out. That would be my number one piece of advice. Um, my number two piece of advice, and maybe the, again, this is um, easy to say in retrospect, but uh, in my first three or four years, I kind of scrimped and saved, not to an extreme level, but I was definitely consciously saving 10% of my salary for my pension or something like that, which in hindsight was you know, a ridiculous decision because the earnings trajectory for someone in consulting, you kind of, it's like a 20% pay rise every year for the first 10 or 15 years of your career. But hard-earned savings in year one is a trivial amount compared to your year 10 earnings and the compounding of my pension was nowhere near uh, that good so so my advice would have been just spend all of your money on parties and holidays and you know, nice clothes or books or whatever it is you know rent of a better apartment don't bother saving for the first three or four years uh, if you back yourself to stay in some kind of high earning profession, you know, clearly if you're going to go and become a teacher after four years, then save hard. But uh, if you're going to stay in business, um, then then it's not worth not worth the effort for saving. 
Um, and then maybe the third type, um, the third, the third tip I would give would be, uh, there are lots of different types of intelligence and, um, I have one of those different types of intelligence. And when I was early in my career, I made the assumption that people who didn't have that type of intelligence were therefore less intelligent, but it turned out they were just intelligent in a way that allowed them to solve different problems, solve the same problem better in some dimension. Um, and actually the joy of consulting uh, is that you're always solving problems in teams and learning to listen to and harness many different types of intelligence uh, would be um, an, an, the third tip I would give myself and probably the, the most serious of the three. I love it. Thank you, Nick. Well, my final question is the most dangerous of all, which is an open-ended mm. question. Is there anything that I haven't asked that you would like to answer a question that you can define on your own um, or something that you feel like you haven't gotten to say that would matter before we move over to the Q&A? I think the, I don't think there's anything particularly about me that I would say, but for your audience here, who I think are all considering their career options, I think I would just say there are some massive differences between careers that are all put in the same bucket as each other, and massive differences in what you spend your time doing day to day, you know, the, the, the nature of the things you're thinking about, the nature of the people you're, you're doing them with. So. Things like law, accounting, investment banking, consulting, um, you know, some other bits of tech, for example, are often bucketed together as substitutable careers. And even within consulting, consulting is an incredibly broad church. You know, you could be working for Accenture in a team of 100 doing a massive IT implementation or you could be doing strategy consulting on you know, an insurgent florist that some private equity has is going to invest in like, like we're doing at the moment. Uh, there is obviously just these huge differences. And I think uh, it's quite hard. Well, it's, it's easy from the outside to globally assume that all of these good careers are the same as each other. Um, so I think I would just encourage people to think carefully about the differences in the day-to-day -day reality of different careers and indeed different firms within a, a broad bucket like consulting. Now that you know, all it takes is a great British accent and some hilarity to be a partner at a top consulting firm. But seriously, wasn't that conversation with Nick amazing? I really enjoyed it and hope that you did too. If you did enjoy it and you know someone else who would be an amazing guest on the podcast, would you connect us by writing both of us in a double opt-in format? Just copy us at team at managementconsulted.com providing an intro. We would be absolutely thrilled. In addition, if you're interested in hearing more great content from us, please subscribe to the podcast so that you can get future downloads, share it, and make sure that you leave us a great review. Thanks so much for being a listener of Strategy Simplified, and we hope to help you in your journey toward consulting over at managementconsulted.com.